Hello, hello. You are with the VBAC link, and this is episode number 87. And we have our friend Brooke on the line today, and she actually runs a website called VBACMama.com. So if you haven't already checked her out, pause right now and go check her out so you can get to know her a little bit and her blog before you listen to her amazing story. So we have a review of the week, and Julie is going to read it today. And it's a long one, so that's another reason why Julie is reading it, because I can't read and speak at the same time. So, Julie, I'd like to turn the time over to you. Fun fact. It's true. (laughs) When when Megan and I very, very first started recording um, the podcast, like our first episode, I think we redid the first episode like six times, and we tried to like write it out and read it. But it just did not work. It was so, so bad because Megan cannot read and talk. But now I'm going to totally botch this review. I feel like I'm just jinxing myself. Um, okay. The review of the week. This week is from Lexi Emery um, from Apple Podcasts. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you for creating this podcast. I had my baby girl via emergency C-section at 30 weeks due to several medical complications with my baby. We spent 95 days in the NICU, and while in there waiting for my sweet girl to grow, I started to research feedback to see if it was right for me. Once I found the podcast, it sealed the deal. I absolutely cannot wait to be back with my next pregnancy. You all are incredible to listen to because you provide a wealth of knowledge and positivity, but are so fun and entertaining to listen to. Amazing job, ladies. That makes me really happy. I love that. I love that we can bring you this good combination of evidence-based facts backed by resources and current research and that you like listening to us crazy moms talk and giggle a little bit through it. So thank you so much, Lexi, for that review of the week. And if you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts or you can even go to Google and just search for the VBAC link. It'll come up. Drop us a five-star review and tell us what you like the most about the VBAC link podcast. And who knows, next week we could be reading your review. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Brooke, we want to get into your cesarean story um, because, of course, every VBAC has to have a cesarean. And I know Mm -hmm. you mentioned that yours was pretty traumatic. So um, share away. Tell Tell us kind of your journey that led you into your VBAC birth. Yes, yes. So I always like to start off with when I explain my C-section story is to say that I celebrated my sister-in-law getting pregnant by getting pregnant myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great plan. So, yeah, and so, right, yep, she announced her pregnancy, and then a couple of weeks later, I was pregnant myself, And, you know, I would say this was my second pregnancy. The first one, um, my first pregnancy was I miscarried. So I had probably um, had about a 10-month gap in between that happening. And 
I definitely felt ready. I was excited to be a mom. And, you know, as newbie parents, my husband, you know, suggested that we start with the genetic testing. And I was reluctant to do it. I just didn't see the validity of it. I just didn't think it was really necessary because it at that point, it's like I'm, I knew that I was going to keep a baby. There's no reason why I wouldn't. So I, you know, I didn't really want to, but it really mattered for my husband to have the genetic testing. And so we went in, we did the genetic testing, and we got a call about a week or two later after getting that genetic testing done, and they said that they wanted us to come in. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, like heart drop moment. So we went in and we went, they shared with us that they found something on the X chromosome and it basically revealed that there was a chance that my son had one in like 40,000 chance of having what's known as Smith-Lemley-Opitz syndrome. And I didn't even know what this was. I was so shocked. You know, we didn't really have any instances of abnormalities in pregnancy or anything on both my husband and my side. And so that really caught us off guard. And so, um, and that is basically like a congenital um, syndrome where it can be anything from like a malformation of certain body parts to just behavioral issues. So it has a big range of things that that can affect. And so, you know, we met with a geneticist and he basically was like, you know, we'd really like to do an amniocentesis. And I said, well, uh, with amniocentesis, you can also miscarry, right? There are risks to that. Yeah. There are a lot of risks. And I knew that there were. Yeah. And he says, yeah, you can miscarry. And I said, okay, nope, we're not going to do that. (laughs) You know, if my son has this condition, then he has this condition. There's really nothing that me finding out now is going to help it. Um, and so, you know, he was really wanting me to have this, and I I could tell that he was really irritated by me, you know, declining. But at that point, I was like, you know, it's just really not going to make a darn difference if we have this or not, and I don't want to risk losing my baby. So, So we moved on. And we found a midwife. She was having an open house at a new birth center that was being um, that was locally held. This is um, when we lived in California. We both were born and raised down there. So we met with this midwife. I fell in love with her right away. Everything about her was what I was wanting, what I was kind of craving. And you know, we got the medical records all sent to her, and I started being seen by her and. The appointments were wonderful. I was measuring well. Everything looked good. And then all of a sudden, at about 32 weeks, I was being monitored. I was in an appointment with her, and she started kind of noticing that I was having quite a few Braxton Hicks just in the time that I was there at that appointment. And she said, you know what, Brooke, I I would really rather you go and meet with um." another doctor who can do some monitoring of your of your Braxton Hicks because it just seems like they're kind of coming on quite a bit. And so I said, okay. So I ended up meeting with this other doctor who I didn't care for as much. My husband really didn't care for her. She was very just abrupt and very short and seemed like she wasn't really on board with the whole midwifery thing and 
you know, I said, well, let's just kind of write this out. She, you know, wants me to be monitored. That's fine. You know, we can do this and make sure everything's okay with our son. And so, you know, I'm sitting there on the table and as I'm being monitored, she's looking at the charts and she comes back in, you know, about 10 minutes or so later. And she's like, are you feeling these? And I was like, no. And she was like, you're having contractions right now. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, I'm like 32 weeks at this point. And so she actually (laughs) sends me to be monitored at a hospital. So they were going to do like the 24-hour monitoring of me and my contractions. So I was like, oh, my goodness. So I end up going into the hospital. My husband comes with me and we're just hanging out. I'm not feeling these contractions, but, you know, the the nurses are like, you could be dehydrated. We need to, you know, get tons of fluid in you. So they just were handing me, you know, those big giant styrofoam containers. And they're like, you need to just down these, these this water right now because it's really important. I was like, okay, you know, so I did as I was told and, you know, everything seemed fine. I did fine all night. And then the next day, I was on the phone with my dad and I felt what felt, it felt like the most incredibly painful contraction all of a sudden and it lasted for minutes. And I was sitting there and I even stopped talking to him and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know, something's going on. I need to, you know, kind of find out what's going on. And so I shared with my nurse at the time, I said, I don't know what's going on, but I definitely just had a really strong contraction And, um, you know, I just want to make sure that everything is okay. And so, you know, they had been doing testing just to kind of see what was going on. And I ended up staying another 24 hours while I was there. And then basically by the end of that stay, they determined that it looked like I was starting to have a UTI. And that was the cause of, you know, some of that painful kind of contraction-like feelings because my bladder was rubbing against the cervix, and that could have likely been the cause. So I was like, okay, you know, they said, just take it easy. You know, we'll put you on just a light bed rest for the next few weeks just to make sure you're good because it seems like your body does like to just naturally have these Braxton Hicks pretty fairly often, and we just just want to make sure that you're good. And so, you know, I did. I I just kind of rested. I didn't really do much, but, you know, at at this point, this is my first pregnancy, so I really thought that that was kind of normal just to have so many Braxton Hicks all the time. And so my sister-in-law had her son, and she had him at home, and I made the mistake of going over and holding him. (laughs) And so when I was holding my nephew for the first time, those contractions actually started up again for me. And I happened to have a a pre-planned appointment with that same doctor who was doing the monitoring. And she says, Brooke, you are having contractions. (laughs) And I told her what I had been doing, you know, that I had seen my nephew. And she was like, Brooke, I really think that, you know, you very likely could be going into labor right now. It's not you know, unusual for you to be experiencing, you know, some of those, the hormones, you know, while you're holding your nephew for that to cause you to go into labor. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So I ended up a couple of days later, I woke up, I had some contractions, started kind of timing them. And, you know, I I took a bath, I kind of tried to relax myself. You know, I got out of the bath and about, you know, I told my husband to go to work, I was relaxed, and then the contractions kind of started coming more consistently, so about seven to ten minutes at that point. And um, at the time, we were staying with my in-laws, and I looked at my mother-in-law, and I was like, I 
think I might be going into labor. And she was like, okay. And so I said, I think we should head over to uh, the hospital. So we get there. And, you know, I'm calling my husband. I didn't even have a bag packed for myself. I just went to the hospital that, you know, my midwife actually worked with. uh, She was like head of the nursing staff at the hospital that I went to. So it was nice. She actually was there. And I was able to still see her there. And so I went and, you know, I'm just kind of going through labor. And, oh, by the way, let me also say before going there, when my midwife ended up finally getting all of my records and she saw that I didn't have the amniocentesis done, she also had told me at that point, this was right before I went into labor, that I had to have amniocentesis done or I couldn't give birth at the birth center. (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. What? She had to have that confirmed that my son didn't have that um, that smith Lemliopet syndrome. And so she was like, Brooke, you didn't get the amniocentesis earlier on. You know, you had this basically this diagnosis. I need for you to get the amniocentesis done so that we can have peace of mind and know that he doesn't, in fact, have it. And so I was actually planning before going into labor at 36 weeks, I was planning on actually getting it done because it meant that much for me to have my birth at this birth center, Yeah. you know, but you know, as fate would have it, I went into labor on my own. That never appointment never ended up happening, but um, you know, I, I ended up laboring at the hospital. My midwife came a little bit later And she kind of came in and out, making sure everything was fine. Um, My husband, you know, knowing had we had done the Bradley classes, so he, you know, was trying to do as best as he could. And then my, I did ask for an epidural, and so at the time, I think I, I didn't ask to really know how far along I was progressing because I really didn't want to be disheartened to know that. You know, it had been a couple hours, and I had maybe not progressed at all. And so I was really trying to be in the dark about that. But I kind of heard someone mumbling and mentioning that I had kind of been at a five and a half for quite a while. And so I think I just kind of started to doubt myself at that point. And so I asked for the epidural. The uh, anesthesiologist came in. He did it. And then right away, of course, my son's heart rate started to decline. And my midwife came in, she, she happened to do like a a cervical check and my bag of waters, when it broke, it was filled with blood. And so my husband basically said, you know, she had like the, oh crap look on her face when that happened, tried to kind of play it cool, but she was like, uh, this doesn't look good. You know, I'm going to go grab your other doctor. That was the same doctor that had done the monitoring earlier. And they kind of were suspecting that my placenta was starting to abrupt at that point. And that was what had possibly been like the the blood in the bag of waters. So my doctor, my other doctor comes in and she looked at the, the, my son's heart rate. I tried a couple of other physicians and it wasn't getting better. And my, my doctor says, Brooke, we're going to have to section you. She didn't even say C-section. She said, we're going to have to section you. And I just like broke into tears because I, that was never even on my radar when I was planning my birth. I didn't research it. I didn't look into it. I knew I wasn't going to have one. And so when she told me that, I was like completely at a loss. And, you know, she realized that that was, you know, a real, a big deal for me to, to hear that. And 
she actually asked me, she said, Brooke, you know, I know that this is kind of abrupt and it's out of nowhere, but, you know, can I pray for you? Can I, can we pray before we go in there? And, you know, as a Christian, that meant the world to me that she wanted to do that. And so literally her and my midwife and my husband and I, she just prayed over us and over the surgery. She prayed for steady hands. I mean, just everything. And it really touched me that she had done that. And so they, they wheeled us in and it started to, you know, they, they made their initial incision and I kind of felt like it was taking them kind of a long time. And with the medicine that I had at the time, I was felt, feeling like I was going to, you know, maybe fall asleep. I was, I was getting really tired. And um, I can tell that she was struggling with something and I couldn't really, didn't really know until after the fact. But my son had been so far into my pelvis that she was kind of having to, to reach in vaginally to try and push him up that way. And she was struggling to keep his head at the right angle for being able to pull him out, apparently. And she was almost about to ask for someone else to help her because I want to say it had taken quite a bit of time. I don't remember how much time it was, but her leg was shaking. I mean, she was really intensely trying to pull him out. All I know is that when she pulled him out, he was, he was limp and I looked at my midwife and I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, he's floppy. (laughs) And I was like, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) Floppy. And, you know, it just, it took some time for him to get revived. It didn't, it didn't seem like it was more than probably a minute, but it seemed like forever. And I finally um, heard him cry they took him away. He went into the NICU. You know, he was a preemie. He was born four pounds, 15 ounces. So he was just a little guy. And, you know, it took a while. I got sewn up. My um, uterus had ripped almost all the way down. So oh, I required a ton of stitches. Nice. And, you know, at this point, this is probably an hour or so, or I don't know how long it took, but I imagine like a half hour to an hour of being stitched up and you know, I'm in the recovery room after that. My son's still in the NICU, so all this time has gone by. I haven't even really seen my son yet. And then this nurse, in order for to kind of release me, she basically was like, I need you to move, like, one of your toes. So we need to make sure that this medica- medicine is, you know, the epidural is wearing off. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I am sitting here trying to move my toe, and all I want to do is see my son, you know, and make sure yeah. that my son is okay. Yeah. And so I, gosh, I just, it took forever. And I don't even remember actually moving my toe because I didn't feel my leg. And she was like, you did it. And so like, I totally moved it with my mind because I don't even know how it happened. Mm -hmm. I was so, you know, drugged up from the epidural. And so finally, I was reunited with my son and they wanted to keep him overnight. They said, you know what, his breathing is okay. He's doing okay. We're just going to keep an eye on him. We technically have to. But thank goodness for the stay that I had at 32 weeks because I was able to, I had, they did give me a couple of steroid injections just in case I went into labor at that point. And I think that that really helped, you know, pump up his lungs to be able to be okay if, I was, if he was to be born at that time. Mm-hmm. So when he did come, even though it was early, he was doing okay with his breathing. But he did end up staying in the NICU. And the weirdest thing is, is that I think about this now after having my daughter that I was okay with that for, for that time. And I, and I honestly feel like it was because 
it had been so overwhelming and we didn't have that initial skin to skin bond like that like that was robbed from me and I didn't see him until the next day and and I I saw you know like it it was weird I I was excited to see him and he was my baby but I didn't feel the same with him as I did with my my daughter who was born vaginally and it breaks me my heart to to even say that now but it was crazy the differences between our bonds initially you know after those yeah. babies were born you know yeah. to compare it now and a lot of moms um, feel that way after their you know, with a cesarean birth versus um, a vaginal birth. And mm-hmm. it's just some bonds happen immediately and some bonds take a little bit of work and that's okay. Brooke, she has had an, a roller coaster of emotions during the prep of her VBAC. And something that she did that is unique, I think, in a little mm-hmm. bit of a way because sometimes it's very scary. And we were actually just talking about this um, before we started recording of how scary and daunting this thing is. And it's switching providers mid to late pregnancy. She felt like she needed to switch and she found somewhere else to switch. And kind of funny fact, and please, Brooke, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a good you were uh yeah so the hospital was like okay that's fine but we don't have a VBAC policy like no VBACs here so you went to the birth center and then all of a sudden you were a bad candidate for a VBAC is that correct yeah yeah in a nutshell that is what happened <laughs> so crazy they're like oh you're you're yeah. doing it out of hospital nope you're yep. a bad candidate it's just that's crazy. right it it is it was very yeah it was very scary i i it was exactly as you described it was a roller coaster of emotions i had started out at a at a women's health center that was right next to the hospital that i was going to give birth at and i was new to the area so i didn't really have a ton of information to go off of like i had you know, done a little bit of research online and stuff. And I found a a hospital was really close to my house. It was actually a newer facility. And so I thought, hey, you know, newer, it's going to be, you know, new technology, maybe, you know, a little bit more um, welcoming of this type of, you know, process. And, you know, I picked a young doctor who I thought might be a benefit because I thought maybe she was younger, you know, a little bit more, down with like the VBAC thing. And, you know, she just, what I started to find out was that she seemed just a little bit inexperienced. Mm -hmm. And so that really, you know, it kind of made me nervous. I mean, from the beginning, she was very easygoing. And, you know, our first few, you know, initial meetings, they went really well, and she seemed fine. But she was, she did share with me that the hospital didn't really support VBACs. And so, at that time, I was kind of like, wait, what? Like, that's, you know, the hospital does its own thing. And I mean, I thought doctors kind of ruled it all and kind of handled all that. But when I heard that the hospital was kind of more stricter and and not really for VBACs, it did kind of make me nervous. But she kind of was, you know, she was reassuring. And she was just like, you know, don't worry, like, we'll, we'll make it happen. And and I kind of came to find out later that the um, reason why that they were kind of anti- VBAC. Well, they actually had a, a no VBAC policy 
was because it was a smaller hospital. And so they didn't really have have the staffing that would be required if you were to have an, need an emergency C-section while you were attempting to have a VBAC. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, apparently it was shared with me that they need about a team of like five people on standby if you were trying to attempt this. So there's like three different nurses that need to be there. There's the surgeon and then there's the anesthesiologist. So... At the time, though, I was just like, you know, my, my doctor, she was really reassuring. And so she was like, you know, I think we can still make this happen. And what what she did want me to do, though, was um, see a specialist. And so this lady, I I can't remember her a specific title. for you to be back? Yeah. So she was like, hey, you know, I want you to see this specialist. She kind of gives you like the, the risk, your risk rating, essentially. So you go and see her. Well, um, you know, they sent all of my medical records to the specialist. I can't remember her title exactly, but she basically looked at all my records and she was able to see that I had had the low transverse incision, which was great. My surgeon also had double stitched me. So, you know, and my surgeon back when I had my C-section, she knew that I really wanted to be able to deliver vaginally afterward. And so I think she really took that extra care to make sure that, you know, she prepped my body and my body would be good, you know, to be able to do this again. And so I was like, oh, so thankful. You know, now I was like so thankful that that seemed to be an advantage to me. So I met with a specialist and she said, you know what, everything looks good. Your records look good. You know, when I had gone into my C-section with my son, it was early. I was I was about 36 weeks pregnant at the time. His heart rate, you know, his heart rate started going down and it didn't seem like I was really progressing. And so it wasn't anything that seemed to be really the reason why you wouldn't be able to have a VBAC. You know, it wasn't like there was any type of major issues. It just kind of seemed like it was circumstantial, I guess. And so um, after I met with a specialist, she She said, you know what? Yeah, everything looks great. Gosh, I want to say I might have been around 20 to 22 weeks or so pregnant at that time. And once I got that okay from her, I ditched the women's like health center where I was getting all of my prenatal visits and I went and found me a midwife. (laughs) So I was like, this is this, that was all I needed to, to kind of put my mind at ease that the VBAC thing was going to be something that I would be able to do. And so I went to a local birth center. I fell in love with the midwife there. She was amazing. She knew about that specialist. And she was like, you know what, if she thinks that you're, you know, a good candidate for the VBAC, I think, I think my success rate was like 80 to 90 percent that I would be able to have a VBAC really with what she calculated. That is usually high almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so, you know, I told Willa, my midwife, I said, yeah, you know, I, I really want to do this in a birth center. I want it to be as natural as possible. I have seen the business of being born when I, in my early 20s. And so I like, that is the one documentary that I love so much. And I tell everybody about because it just opened up my eyes so much about, you know, the medical system and the hospitals and just kind of that the rate of cesareans and how they had kind of increased so much at such a rapid rate, you know, in the last um, couple of decades. And so I already kind of had a lot of that education in my mind. And I knew... You know, even when I went into to birth with my 
my first, my son, I knew that that I just didn't expect, you know, that first cesarean. So when I had um, the opportunity to do a VBAC, like that's where my mind was. I was set like on this VBAC the entire pregnancy, like nothing was going to change my mind (laughs) about this. And, and so I think her that encouraging you and yeah. supporting you, you know, right. Yeah. And I think that just really, you know, I kept that positive mindset from the very beginning. That was what I was going to focus on and make sure that I really um, created an environment that would allow me to do that. And so I went over to this birth center and then, you know, I started having my visits with her and everything was wonderful. It was like everything that I was really wanting it to be. It was a beautiful place. And, she was great. You know, me and my husband got along and her and her husband ran the birth center. And so it was, it was perfect. And, and also it was just down the street from the hospital. So if there was a problem and something happened in the middle of the delivery um, or middle of the um, labor, I can always be transferred over and it wouldn't, it was barely even like a five minute drive. So that really put my mind at ease, too, knowing that there's that plan B and it would be a quick, hopefully smooth transition if that were to happen. Um, So anyways, you know, at that point, appointments are going great. That specialist, though, she did when I first had that meeting with her, she ended up wanting to schedule a ultrasound at like 32 weeks just to kind of see how everything's going and make sure that you know, we're still looking good, you know, placenta's in the right spot and all that good stuff. And so 32 weeks, I get in and I do my ultrasound and everything looks great. And word got out that I was over at this birth center. (laughs) So, and I don't know how she got wind of this. I imagine that she realized that maybe the record or the ultrasound maybe had to get sent to my midwife. I'm not really entirely sure how she got that information. Not that I was really trying to hide it, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, purposefully talking about. And so about, gosh, I want to say a week later. So this is, I'm probably about 32, 33 weeks at this point. And my, um, I have my an appointment, a planned appointment with my midwife, Willa, and she's, she sits me down and she goes, Brooke, you know, like I just got word that, you know, your, your ultrasound and everything went well, but um, the specialist, she found out that you're going to be having your birth here and she retracted her approval for you to have a VBAC. <laughs> and I was just devastated, like yeah. completely devastated. In fact, I, I even took off a whole day of work just to cry the whole day. <laughs> so yeah. You know what? So you have to let that out sometimes. You just have to get oh it out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I that's was, frustrating. Oh, it was. It was. I felt I felt like she, like, backstabbed me. Like, I was in high school again, and, like, my, you know, like my friend backstabbed me. It was, it was so um, surprising. And, you know, Willa, she, she and I sat for, like, an hour talking, and, she was like, Brooke, I, I know that this is not what you wanted to hear. I know that this is, you know, it was so important for you to have your, um, your baby here. But, you know, knowing that she wanted, that she retracted that approval for this, like, we have to follow that. You know, it's, 
I would be risking my license as a midwife. I would be risking a lot if something were to happen at this birth center um, and going against what she said. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. Like I told me that once that I made a bad call and put her put her career in jeopardy as a doula working for my client. I don't want to like get on that soapbox, but it just kind of just kind of is a testament to how I want to say passionate, but it can be like passion used in an incorrect way to influence people. And that puts the focus more on the midwife than on the actual person that's giving birth. So, anyways, mm-hmm. sorry. Keep going. I just yeah. want to go out there yeah. and my comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, like, for yeah. all of this to be happening at 38 weeks, 38 weeks, you know, It was plus. about 32 at this time. Oh, yeah. 32. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, this is this is a lot, you know, yeah. for someone to go yes. through. So. Oh, gosh, yeah. And then when you take into account, you know, your emotions during pregnancy are already at an all-time high, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. that it, it was just, I it was so shocking. Like, I just didn't even know what to do. So I, uh, you know, I immediately contacted the um, the Women's Health Center that I had previously been, been seen at for those earlier prenatal appointments. And I decided that, you know, if that was going to have to be the plan, that I was going to meet with another doctor that, you know, I had asked around a little bit and some other women had mentioned um, another really good doctor over there. And so I was like, great. I made an appointment with her. And I want to say well, it was pretty quickly after that, but it might've, I might've been like 36, 37 weeks at that, at this point. And so literally before we, this was supposed to be like our, our initial consultation with this doctor and she doesn't even meet me. I don't, we don't go into any like room or anything. She, I mean, we do go into a room, but it's not like the normal room where you're sitting on like the table kind of thing. We sit down almost in like a boardroom and my husband and I just, we go together. I think actually my son was there with us. He was about two and a half at the time. And she literally just point blank asks me, why are you trying to have a baby at this hospital? And it and it kind of like caught me off guard. She was like, if you want a VBAC, you know, this hospital has a strict VBAC policy, like no VBAC policy. Why are you trying to, you know, have your baby here? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like she just was so blunt. And I said, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, my initial doctor, she kind of told me that it, we can make it work. And this doctor was like, no, like, you need to go over to this, you know, other community hospital that's down the way. It's still in their network of hospitals, but it's a much smaller community hospital, about 45 minutes away. She was like, if you want this, then you need to go there. Mm. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, you know, I think I had a lot of nerves surrounding, like, the drive to a hospital just because, my first, you know, being born at 36 weeks, I, it was so scary for me and it all happened so fast that I was really nervous to even try and attempt to labor at home because I really just didn't want to risk anything happening. And so, you know, here I am creeping up into that range of time where I'm about 36, 37 weeks. And I was like, gosh, like, I just don't even know if I want to risk driving all the way out for 45 minutes. But at the same time, you know, this doctor is literally like, no, like, it's not going to happen if you trying to have your baby here. Like, I don't know what this previous doctor was telling you, but if you want to have a VBAC, don't come to this hospital. <laughs> yeah. 
And so at that point, I was, I so appreciated how honest she was with me. I was like, wow, like, I really wish my, the other doctor would have been (laughs) so brutally honest. But, you know, I kind of, I took it while I had it. And like I said, I, I contacted this other hospital about 45 minutes away and they were more, you know, this, this particular area. So we're in Southern Oregon. This particular area is more, I want to say more naturally minded. There's a lot of, uh, just, I guess more people who are more comfortable with the VBAC thing and the home birth thing. And it just kind of has like this reputation for being known as more um, naturally minded and naturally based. And I contacted, um, I had, I had two doctors in mind that had both been, I looked on their website and they both were known as, you know, VBAC supportive doctors. And so the first doctor um, that I ended up calling, I kind of shared my story and, you know, we went over a couple of things and basically she said, you know what, I I do want you um, to come in, come in right away and we'll get you seen. I want to um, have all your medical records sent over as soon as you can. And so, you know, I made sure that they got, they all got over to her and it ended up being really nice. She was really, really good. She had been in, gosh, she had been a doctor for, gosh, I want to say 20 to 30 years. And we just, we hit it off really well. She understood my story. She understood my journey. And she kind of, she did kind of just do some some initial checks and she wanted to make sure that, you know, she wanted to basically rule out that, you know, the baby didn't maybe get stuck in my my birth canal because I am a, a petite woman. And so I think she was kind of like concerned that perhaps the baby was might have could have been too big or you know there was a couple of things that she wanted to check and when she rolled out that everything looked good she was like no like you're good to go I don't see why we couldn't do this and I was like oh my goodness thank you so much <laughs> I was so relieved and um, you know I started meeting with her that you know you're getting those twice a week um, visits at that point and it was so worth that drive for me, um, you know, knowing that that she was on board with me and she was just as supportive. And, you know, I, like I said, I had always kind of educated myself on the birth and pregnancy, and I was always fascinated with it. In my first pregnancy um, with my son, I had taken the Bradley classes. So I already had that mindset of the Bradley method and, my husband, you know, was super supportive and he um, would, you know, do the, they have these practices and little things that you can do in order to prep yourself. And I also had done a ton of yoga when I was pregnant with my daughter. And I know that that really helped tremendously with um, not only my body and my aches and pains, but just like my relaxation and stuff. So I ended up kind of being a little nervous around that 36 week mark because of going into birth, you know, going into labor with my son the first time, but 36 weeks came and went, 37, 38, 39, 40 weeks oh my on my goodness. my due date. I um I was out having dinner with my family. We were celebrating someone's birthday and they had a live band there. I was feeling great. Like I felt great the whole pregnancy. Everything went so smoothly. It was not really, not nearly as difficult as my first. It was really, really nice. And I was out there on the dance floor dancing with my son. I, we were having a good old time. 
And I was like, you know what, if this baby's going to come, it's going to come. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to stress. And we get home that night, put my son to bed. And at about 11, I start feeling like what feels like contractions. And, you know, I had had the contractions for like the last two weeks coming and going and nothing really happening. I would start to time them and, you know, all of a sudden they would just kind of go away. And so I was like, okay, you know, we'll see if this is anything. And and then they kind of came on really quickly and really they started getting a little stronger. And I was like, okay, ouch, I can feel that a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't, we didn't really have a plan as far as what to do with my son, but we did kind of mention to my, my in-laws, they live close by about two miles away. We mentioned to them, you know, and, hey, you know, would you guys be able to just watch our son and we'll just bring him by because that, that would be on our way to the hospital anyways. And so they always were just like, yeah, whatever, you know, just, just let us know. And so when I started feeling those contractions, my husband ended up calling my, uh, my in-laws and, you know, woke them up, told them we were going to be bringing Elvis by. My son's name is Elvis. That's bringing awesome. Elvis by. Yeah. And so anyways, we, we dropped him off at about midnight and gosh, my husband raced so fast to that hospital. I mean, gosh, we must have been going like 90 miles an hour. I was freaking out. But I was also like, yeah, you better get us there. <laughs> Just make sure, you know, we get there safely. And we get there. And the one concern that I really had about this hospital, like I said, it was a small community hospital. They had five rooms, five birthing rooms. So, you know, when my when I had met with my doctor, my initial concern was, what are the chances that there's all those five rooms are going to be taken up by women, you know, going into labor? <laughs> you know, that was, I was like, gosh, what am I supposed to do at that point? And she was like, well, you know what, I've been here, you know, 30 years, and it's only happened twice. I said, okay, I feel better. And we got there, and I really thought, think I was like the only woman there. I mean, it was quiet. It was peaceful. They had all the lights low. It it was so serene, so calm. It was, it had, they had um, like these really nice plants all over the place. It was so beautiful. And so we get settled into the room and I'm just, these contractions were probably, I want to say they were like coming on every three minutes and lasting for about a minute. So they were coming on pretty strong, surprisingly to me. And so I, you know, I labored for about an hour, hour and a half, and they just kind of started freaking me out. And so I, I did ask for an epidural from, uh, from the or from my nurse. I said, hey, you know what? I'd, I'd really think I'd like to do this. And so the anesthesiologist comes in, and he is so calm. I swear, everyone was like just from a different world. They were not what. I was used to in the hospital setting, they were very calm and maybe everyone else did yoga in this particular (laughs) hospital. I don't know, but he came in, he was so reassuring and so calm and, you know, got me, got me taken care of. And my, uh, my sweet husband, he's, he has a hard time with needles. And so (laughs) (laughs) when I got my initial, the hep lock, they did put the hep lock on initially um, at the beginning and, you know, it made him a little, a little woozy. And he kind of was like, you know what, I think I'm going to have to sit this one out. <laughs> and he sat down on the chair. So when they were giving me the epidural, the nurse, she, there was one nurse kind of there with me. And then there was one nurse that was specifically watching my husband. So my husband was sitting 
in the in the chair, you know, just trying not to pay attention to me, what you know, what was going on with me and the um and getting my epidural, bless his heart, but Anyways, you know, epidural went in and it wasn't the same epidural that I had had with my first pregnancy. It left me the ability to feel the the feel the contractions like I could feel the pressure of them, but I didn't feel the pain. So I was still kind of able to move around a little bit, which really surprised me. It was very very nice. I I was like, "Man, I didn't realize that they could be so easy going like this. I thought it was just, you know, I'm kind of going to be numb for, you know, a while. And so I really, I liked that. We kind of hung out, we talked, I wasn't really tired. The nurse stayed in and we just had a really nice conversation with her for, you know, a couple hours, I would say. And then um, my doctor came in, she checked me and she was like, all right, you're good to go. And, you know, we're ready to start pushing. You're, you're dilated. And I was like, what? Like it, it, it happened so fast. She's like, we're, yeah, we're ready to push. And I was like, okay, like, I don't know anything about pushing. So (laughs) I'm going to need a lot of help. And so, you know, they just, they really let me follow my body and trust my body. And they said, okay, well, you can feel the pressure when you're getting a contraction, even though you don't feel the pain. So just go with that. And so we'll wait for you to give us a signal that you're ready to push. And then we'll, you know, we'll kind of guide you and walk you through it. And so I was like, okay. And so I started pushing as best I could. And and they said, no, you kind of want to push like you're having a bowel movement. And I said, okay. So I, I, I had changed <laughs> changed that around a little bit. And it surprised me how long it took me to push. I pushed for an hour and a half, and I was like, wow, like, I didn't realize that it took that long sometimes, you know, and I'm sure that there's births that it takes longer, but it really surprised me how long it took, and at one point, my my daughter's heartbeat did start to decline a little bit, and so my doctor, she just flipped me one way, and I flipped it another way, and then I tried um, hands and knees for a little bit, and that seemed to, you know, help her heart rate go up a little bit more to my, you know, where my doctor was a little bit more comfortable. And then finally, she just, she ended up seeing my daughter's head was crowning, and I flipped over so that, you know, she can get a better view of of the, of my daughter's head. And, and literally, a couple more pushes, and my daughter comes out, and she, they, they placed her right on my chest. And of course, that's an experience that I didn't have with my son. So I was in shock. I just didn't even know what to do. I, I, I looked at her and she barely made a little peep and she just looked at me and she was so calm. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like it, I couldn't believe that, that that was it. Like it, it was, there she was, she was on my chest and the birth team, they checked her out. They looked at her for a few seconds. I don't even remember them doing the APGAR score or anything on, on her. I'm sure they did. But I could have sworn that they literally left her on my chest for at least an hour untouched. And she just laid there, her naked little body on me. I didn't want her to be cleaned. I didn't want any of that stuff. We just laid there. She immediately began breastfeeding it was it ended up being so perfect that we just laid there until she finally peed on me <laughs> and, then, and then i said okay nurse i'm ready to <laughs> let's get her cleaned up and me cleaned up and and it was it was so peaceful at this particular hospital that 
we didn't even have anyone come and visit us. It, we just enjoyed it. It felt like we were in like a hotel room, my husband and I. And so we just enjoyed it. Um, I think there was one other lady who um, I finally asked if there was any other women who had given birth at this um, hospital. And, you know, one of the nurses was like, yeah, you know, there is one other lady who also had a baby. And I was like, gosh, it just seemed so quiet. It was so relaxing. And I did end up tearing. My doctor didn't share with me exactly how many stitches I needed. I was so interested in this number. I was like, how many stitches? And she was like, yeah, you got quite a few. <laughs> so, so I don't know exactly how, how far down I had um, torn. But, I mean, I've said this so many times that I will take the pain of the stitches from a vaginal birth over the pain from a cesarean birth. Like, it was cannot even compare those two experiences and it it was so worth it for me even going through that pain and you know kind of having to take care of you know the the stitches and stuff for the next couple weeks afterward I said gosh it was so worth it to have that moment you know Mm -hmm. with her and and once I had that I like it, it was just so completely healing for me you know to experience that her on my chest and breastfeeding and looking at her and I it was just it was reassuring for me to know that my body was capable of doing that because that was the one question I had in my mind after my my cesarean section was, you know, why did my body fail me? Why why couldn't I have a birth, you know, the way that we were supposed to have a birth, you know? Like, why, why did that happen? Um, but... It, it seemed like that all all of those questions of you know inadequacy and insecurity it seems like they they all disappeared when I had her. It was like that's what I needed to remind me that I can do this. It doesn't matter that you know I'm a petite girl like I can totally do this. My body was you know made to do this, and it just was gosh i I'm so thankful and so. That's, you know, why I like to really share that story now. And I want more women to have that same experience. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, every woman deserves to have that experience. They have that. They deserve to be believed in. They deserve to Mm -hmm. have the support and and have those feelings. Um, You know, and and even moms that may have a repeat cesarean, I almost said Mm -hmm. repoot. Guess what? That is something I said in our first videos, and Julie is over. I'm trying so hard not to bust a gut right now, laughing. Oh my god! So when we were recording, she's so red. When we when we um, recorded, this is just a little side note. When we recorded our first round of VBAC videos for our online VBAC course. I was uh-huh. recording and I said repoot cesarean. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I almost said it again. So repeat cesarean. <laughs> um, you know, even women who have repeat cesareans, whether or not right. it was scheduled or not, if they have that support and behind them, I think mm-hmm. it just makes it so much easier. Um, yeah. And so I, I totally l- heard that too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and you've just been through this journey and it's, I don't know. I just, I love it. I love that you were able to get that experience after all of that. Like you're a good candidate. No, you're not. Yes, you are. Actually, you have an 80, right. 90% chance. I'm like, that's like a really high chance on the VBAC calculator that we just don't love. But yeah, yeah so those are all 
just all amazing things, you know, that Aww. every little step, yeah. you had to take every little step to get to that point. Well, yeah, and, and especially I didn't even really get into my um, my C-section, C-section or uh-huh. my, my first pregnancy, and that was what I initially was going to start with, but the, I went through so many ups and downs in that pregnancy. It was a lot scarier than my daughter's, and, you know, that really helped kind of frame where my mind was mentally going into this pregnancy. You know, I, and also my first pregnancy was a miscarriage. So I had had some of these things happen to me that I really feel like kind of affected me mentally in -hmm. terms of my, my own confidence with myself, my confidence with my body and my capabilities. And so, you know, and it's, I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, my hindsight has kind of showed me that those things really did have an impact on me. And so even when I went into this pregnancy, I was nervous still. I was nervous to even go to that approach, approach that other um, hospital to um, make sure that I can have this feedback. And and it worried me to even attempt that in the beginning. And then finally, I was like, you know what, this is what I want. I'm going to just do it. And so um, it's it's amazing how each pregnancy it plays such a, a role in our story, you know, in our journey as moms. But it's, you know, they're all so important. You know, I wouldn't have my VBAC success story if it wasn't for my traumatizing, you know, story with my, my cesarean and my with my son. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm thank God that, I did have these things happen because it was has allowed me to share my story and to relate to a lot of other moms who are, you know, having those own self doubts about themselves and their during their pregnancy. Um, I just think it's so important, like you guys said, to have that support and you know going into even a routine C section if they, you know, if they have to have a routine C section. I've heard just preparing yourself mentally for something, knowing that it's going to happen, as opposed to it being like an emergency Mm C-section, it really can be an an awesome experience as well because you're mentally prepared for it. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. And I did want to remind everybody to check out your website. It's vbackmama.com. And she's got an a whole bunch of amazing reads, things like feedback preparation and things, um, you know, that you can do for like a hospital birth and everything like that. And birth experiences from a C-section and a VBAC, obviously from her herself, having done both. And just really a whole bunch of things, a nice 10-step plan for um, a VBAC and wish she things she wish she knew and there's just so much more. So go to her website, vbackmama.com and check her out because I think it's another amazing resource for all of you listeners to turn to. Absolutely. And just as a reminder, we have a blog all about how to find out if your provider is VBAC supportive or less supportive. You can find that on our website, thevbacklink.com slash blog. And I just want to remind everybody Brooke is a good testament to that. It is never too late to switch providers, even late in pregnancy. 36, 37, 38 weeks, me and Megan have both had clients change super late in pregnancy. Honor even at heart. 40 weeks. Even at 40 weeks. Actually, I've even, even had one at 42 labor. weeks. <laughs> yeah, I had a client walk out of labor and delivery and find another hospital. Yeah, Actually, it's, you know, it's never too late until it's over. And you really can't. You can't, like, I don't know how to explain. Like, you can't let... 
a provider hang you up. Don't let a provider hang you yes. up. Don't let a provider that is not treating you well and giving you the support that you deserve just steer you in the wrong direction because yep. it's really hard to do and it's emotional, but you can do it. So, yeah. Follow your heart. Find the best support that you can for your birth. Yeah. And trust that yes, intuition. Yes. And we are here for you along, along the way. We want to remind everyone to go to our Instagram and Facebook pages. Find today's post all about Brooke's story and let us know, did you switch providers? When did you switch providers? What made you stay? What made you leave? Mm -hmm. Let's get a good discussion going um, and let people know what their options are and what will identify a good provider versus a great provider versus the best provider. So head over there, um, find us and participate in today's discussion. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.